Hi guys, I'm Tara Lipinski. And this is Todd Kapastashi. And this is the 19th episode of Unexpected. 19, still numbering them. Still numbering. do it. But there's a little difference this week. New format. And not that we're going to keep to that new format every single time with a guest each episode, but I think we're going to try to add in as many guests as we can. And this week, we have someone really special. I sort of prepped everyone on last week's episode, but we have Kristen McQuaid, who I met through Instagram. We became friends. I learned about her story, and I felt like she was the perfect first guest for Unexpecting to talk about other infertility and loss stories because a lot of shit went down in ours, but not everything. And there's so many other women or people out there that are listening that I think want to connect to their specific problem or their specific trauma in infertility. And that's why I think it's important to bring on guests and people like you to tell your story so that their feelings can also be validated. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys. So for me, we connected a couple weeks before Georgie's birth, and I was able to to talk to you a little bit about my fears um, leading up to that birth. And I think because of your history, you were able, you know, so seamlessly uh, to walk me through all of those feelings and stay calm. Those I, I feel like. Sometimes I'd be like, I'm going to go tell Todd. I'd be like, no, I got to I gotta text Kristen. This person that I don't know, I got to text her all my fears and yeah. talk this through and make a decision of, you know, what we're going to do as we were leading into the birth. It was just, it was insane. Yeah, because it's almost as though you told me things and I finished your sentence. Yes. And it's um, it, you have to be through, have gone through it in order to understand it. it. And you can tell anyone, like I could tell my husband and he just won't understand, but I feel like I've known you my whole life and we just met and I consider you one of my best friends yes. now just because of something so intimate and tragic right. uh, and, and just something that not a lot of people go through, but at the same time, right. I feel like so many go through. Right. Right. And which is why we are going to tell your story. But before we get into the infertility or loss portion, the the beginning of your story, can you tell a little a little bit about yourself and your career and what you do and maybe how you met your husband, Steve? I will. So I was born in New Jersey, not yeah. far from whoop, you. Whoop. Uh, and, uh, my, my dad was in sales. So we moved everywhere. We've lived in eight States. I'm kind of a, a gypsy. And, um, we ended up landing in Denver, Colorado for a little while. I grew up dancing competitively. My dad was transferred to Orange County and I went to Orange County High School of the Arts and studied commercial dance and got an agent there and went into, the world of commercial dance. And I ended up going on Days of Our Lives and doing films with Minnie Driver, being on American Dreams for four years with Britney Snow. And I- And then also a choreographer, which we have another connection yes. there. You worked on So You Think You Could Dance, which yes. I guest judged for a few years. Yeah. And so just so many, once I was in front of the camera, I decided then to transfer behind the camera and just kind of wanted to spread my my creativity all around. And so I did choreography, creative directing. I still currently do that. And 
Um, yeah. And then you met your husband. I met my husband Steve. at a wedding in Houston. And at the time I was so gung-ho choreographer, like I don't have time <laughs> for a man in my life right yeah. now. And we met and he told me he was from Oklahoma. And I said, where is that? <laughs> and he was like, it's above Texas. I said, okay, still, I don't know what, where that is. Um, and so I was like, LA is a bubble. Like if you live in LA or right. you have been, you just know that this is just a, its own separate yeah. world over here. And so we did long distance for four years because I was not moving to Oklahoma. And one day I just decided, you know what? I've done what I've wanted to do in this. If I walked away from my career right now, I would feel accomplished. Mm -hmm. And so I shockingly made the move to Oklahoma and I've lived there for over 16 years. And I can say I love the balance between the two. Yeah. I still come back here and work all the time. Mm -hmm. And I just love the normalcy and the suburban life mm -hmm. in Oklahoma and not having to pay to go to the bathroom right. or to park. <laughs> or to park. Um, but I also, I'm, I'm a go get, I'm a, like a go person, go, 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 go. And Oklahoma is so chill. Like the way people walk and <laughs> just take their time. Um, but yeah, my husband is a, an interventional cardiologist at St. Francis hospital, one of the main hospitals there in Oklahoma. And we couldn't be more polar opposites. I'm on the creative side. He's on the book smart side. Right. And so we make a perfect team. Yeah. So opposites attract just like us here. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's so right. So what age did you marry Steve? And uh, did you ever talk about children at that point? And what was the plan for kids? So we married, I was 26 when we got married. And I didn't want children right away. I wanted to still stay very career driven. I am like, go women, go, like stay strong with your jobs, like we can do this type of person. And I wanted to make my own money. I knew that I was going to be marrying into money with my husband being a doctor, but I didn't want to just be a stay-at-home mom. I say that now and <laughs> I don't want to leave my house, yeah. um, but I wanted to just be career driven still. And so- we started uh, trying for children, I want to say like maybe five years into our marriage. So five years. So how old were you? So like 30, 30. 31. Yeah. And when did you realize that there was possibly a specific issue in your journey? Well, you know, just like with anyone, you you try naturally. Right. And you know, you hear, oh, well, we've been trying for years. It's going to happen when it's supposed to happen. And I, I just carried that on for years and just thought. So do you think, real quick, do you think there's a little lack of education? That I definitely had that. I had no idea about how anything worked in fertility. Did you feel, oh, one day it will happen. I, I don't have to rush. Well, I think with sex ed in school, like people just think like, don't have sex. You'll get a baby. Yeah. And you think like, well, okay, but I, I want a baby now and I'm <laughs> having sex all the time and there is no, no baby. baby. <laughs> and, you know, like you specifically get down to like the, the you know, when you're ovulating right. and you're doing all these 
calculations right. and you're like, okay, right now in this second, in this minute, we should have a baby. Right. Right. And you know, still the times would pass and I would just, I guess not really know. I just thought science was science and I'm doing the right thing. And I think, um, it was around mm, maybe three or four years. Then we finally went to the doctor and we're like, okay, maybe we need some assistance. Mm -hmm. So there was no desperate rush at no, that point. You thought no. this will happen. Go to the doctor. What happened then? Because that's, you're about 35 at that point. Right, right. So I still thought like I have time. There's still no rush. I even was, you know, getting more, I felt like my career was still up on the rise. Right. And so it, it kind of was maybe meant to be that this wasn't happening when it was, when we were trying. And so we went to the doctor and, you know, he said, well, I'm going to give you Clomid. It's going to make you drop more eggs and you will get pregnant. The chances of multiples are very high. And I'm thinking, okay, with my luck, I'm going to end up with six babies. Right. It's like going to be John and Kate plus eight, <laughs> Kristen and Steve plus 20. I don't really know. I'm hoping. But then again, I'm like, well, maybe six babies is meant for me. <laughs> uh, we felt like we were in great hands and we felt like the doctors were taking our, our concerns seriously. But also we didn't think that there was an issue at this time either. We just thought we're just not getting pregnant. We just need a little bit of help. Um, we weren't getting pregnant. I would say another year or two had gone by with all of these medications and it still wasn't happening. And this is what's crazy to me if another year goes by, right? And you're, you're seeing a doctor and you're mid thirties. This is the, the part that is mind blowing to me because I feel, we've talked about it so, so often on the podcast, but I feel like I'm fairly inquisitive and, you know, I, I try to educate myself on, on things about my body or health. It's just this area of fertility without someone telling you, you are 35, you've got to get the show on the road if it hasn't been happening. And that's not always what you hear. You go into these fertility clinics and I have a lot of friends, okay, let's try this. Let's try that. There's not this urgent and obviously no one wants to be an alarmist, but right. I do think it is so important, anyone listening, that your fertility, it's its there is a clock and it's ticking. Right. And the sooner you start, possibly, you know, you never know, but possibly the easier your journey will be. So it's just interesting to even hear your story. You're so many years in and treatment isn't working, but are they looking for other things? Because I know you had endometriosis right. and how did this not come up as a possible, you know, cause? Yeah. You know, it's hard as you were saying that I thought there's also not a parent on a book on how to be a parent, exactly. you know? So it kind of is a balanced thing. Like there's no books on the perfect way to make a child right. and there's no book on the perfect way to right. raise a child. Right. And so kind of everybody is different right. and every way of raising a child is different. Right. And, I, and I think that that's kind of where doctors and scientists don't really know and can't really pinpoint 
this is what you should be putting your guard up for, or right. this is what you guys should be expecting. Right. Um, because you don't often see stillbirths happening or, you know, all of years the stuff that long, you guys have been through. You. I mean, at that point, you're already years, six, right. seven years into not getting pregnant. So, right. you know, I think for the people that are part of this community, it feels like making a baby is the craziest thing in the it world. Does. But to the general population <laughs> and for it, the it general population. It seems like everyone else doesn't everyone, have a yeah, problem. They don't have those issues. But don't get me started on endo. But I do think it is. I mean, it takes yeah. 10 years to diagnose this disease. Yeah. So, so many people are having symptoms and in pain. And I do think that can be diagnosed much earlier or even you know, test for it, obviously. Because I wasn't tested for it. Right. It was and just something that we had experienced when we would have intercourse. It would be extremely right. painful. Right. And I was almost embarrassing for me because I didn't want to have to tell Steve, right. like, this is killing me. And I didn't know that it was even a thing. Right. I thought, like, maybe this oh, is just, just body. what is yes. happening. And so when I randomly brought it up to the doctor, he was Man, like, "Man, Steve really sucks at this." I hate. <laughs> I know, right? You're I'm like, like wow, Steve is doing something, something wrong. wrong. <laughs> he cannot be good at this. He's good at being a doctor, but that's all. Um, and you know, and so then that is what brought up endometriosis, and it's almost like you said, it, you discovered it. I had discovered it yeah. on my own, and to your point. Should that be something that's scheduled and and right. looked at a lot earlier on? Right, or just ask you you know for I, I, it's so interesting. I had Ob reach out and and after we did the endo episode and said, how can I be more proactive with my patients? It was crazy. A doctor was I was like, oh, I'm you know, definitely not a doctor here. But I the only advice I gave was explain any symptoms you have yeah. around you know, having sex or going to like going to the bathroom or, you know, stabbing pains. Yep. There's, you know, z we call them zingers, but that would be a red alert to me as a doctor of, oh, maybe we have you go see an endo specialist just to see. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I wish that my endo was caught so much earlier. But anyway, back to your endo, your doctor, when you told them these symptoms, what happened was alerted right away right. and said, let's go in. It's a quick 20 minute surgery. Go in, we'll clean you out. And then you will get pregnant right away. Like everything will be cleaned out and they can't diagnose that you've touched on right. this until you do surgery, until you do surgery which is still crazy right. to me to think that they can't do some sort of test to know that you have endometriosis without for going people in people listening there are things you can look for obviously those symptoms right and then if you go to an endo specialist they can do a physical exam that again can't diagnose it but my doctor at the time gave me a percentage and she's like you uh i would say you have endo and my percentage for that is 98 percent yeah, yeah. so You're like okay so okay, i have it so i have it <laughs> So they went in and I remember waking up in the recovery room and I felt horrible. And the doctor, I remember him saying, you're going to need to stay overnight. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. This is just an outpatient. You're not my doctor, right, obviously. Right. Um, I think you're in the wrong room. <laughs> and they were like, no, you were in surgery for two hours. 
And I was like, well, what do you mean? You said 20 minutes. Am I okay? Did right. I bleed to death? Like, what is what wrong? Happened? Am I alive? <laughs> and they said, no, your endometriosis was stage four. It was one of the worst cases I have ever seen. And then I thought, okay, so it wasn't Steve. <laughs> <laughs> We got that out of the way. It wasn't his extremely large penis. No. Just trying to give Steve a shot. I mean, he does wear a size 14 (laughs) shoe, but I mean, come on. So, um, you know, then I thought, well, the good thing is now I can have a baby. Right. You know, exactly. That was my thought too. I went through it. We got the pain out of the way. All of my hundreds of spots of endometriosis are gone. And now I can have 26 babies. <laughs> right. Um, the especially is with here. The, the, now it's time. And so. Uh, and real quick, at this point, yeah. were you getting a little more concerned and the urge to have a child was growing? I do. Yeah. Now I think it, it was, now I really want a child. Right. Because I just put my body through a massive surgery, which was supposed to just be a little surgery. But now we've gone through this and now I'm like, okay, now I want a kid. Right. Because now we're trying. Right. And um, so I think, you know, maybe another six months, eight months, something had gone by and no No baby. No baby. No baby showed Um, up. (laughs) No baby. We then did get pregnant. Um, I think it was a year after the surgery. And there was something in me that just wasn't excited about it. And it was so weird. I don't know if it's a mother instinct when you, I don't know if you had this at all when you went to go see the heartbeat scan, if there was any sort of hesitation or anxiety Um, But I just had this feeling that something didn't feel right. Right. And I went in and Steve was holding my hand and in excitement to be like, okay, here it is. And I was just looking at that little teeny body blob thing Mm -hmm. um, inside the uterus. And I could just see there was no heartbeat. And the doctor, the nurse, the tech person right. just doesn't say anything, right. which is the worst. Right. And it feels like they're in there for an hour. Right. And you're just like, no, why aren't you talking? Right. And their response is always, well, we can't say anything. The doctor is going to have to make this call, but it could also be that it's too early. Right. I know the too early thing is just <sighs> like, okay, those are trigger words. Yeah. I'm just going to need you to not use those. So if any doctors are listening to this, perhaps we use different words well, for Todd that. Well, Todd and I talk about this often about how, again, it's hard for doctors, right? Because it's like you said, it's it's not a perfect science. Yeah. Uh, there's so many different cases. Many people probably could go in and it is too early at six and a half weeks. Absolutely. With an well, but even if it's like one in a hundred, they kind of, I guess, have to say that. Right. But maybe they don't. And the people who think it's not happening are just happy and surprised. Yeah, I guess it's you probably know, better to be surprised in the good way yeah. than hold on to that hope. Yeah. But then some people really need that hope to hold on to, you you know, to get yourself through continuing medication or getting to the next scan. Again, it's just how everyone deals. I would have much rather just grieved it all in the moment and been done with it. And we didn't really have a choice because we were sent straight up to the doctor's office and the doctor walked in and I just remember it being so long ago, over a decade ago, and him just 
walking in saying, you're having a miscarriage. Bedside manners, hello. Um, I'm a human. I'm a a woman and I'm trying to carry a child. And you you just acted like I just had an oil change. (laughs) Like I need you to have some sort of empathy for me that I just, I'm about to bleed out a child. Right, right. And... I, I went home and the anxiety of when is it going to happen? Because Ugh. all I heard was it's extremely painful. Right. When do I start taking pain pills? Right. And when when is this going to start bleeding? Right. Um, and it, it, it happened and it was awful. And you could tell when the baby had passed. Yeah. And um, it, it's just something that many unfortunate women go through and um, – it's devastating. And I feel like we weren't, like I said, we weren't emotionally attached to this child for some reason. Um, and maybe that's better for our case. Right. Um, because we were only set up to have something worse happen. Right. right. Um, and so we ended up um, going into two more endometriosis surgeries after that for years to come to clean me out again in hopes of, you know, becoming pregnant again. It still didn't happen. My endometriosis came back even faster every time and it only led to a hysterectomy and which for any woman in their late thirties to hear that you have to have a hysterectomy uh, is horrible. Like I will never be able to carry a child, um, feel the kicks, feel the flutters, feel, I'll never, and you know, like that's something I feel like we both share, Tara, is uh, it's uh, something that is taken away from you that you look forward to in being a woman. Right. And- Or that you kind of just think it's your right to be able to Yeah, your right to be able to carry and And it just ripped away from you. And it's almost as though, like, I didn't even feel like a woman anymore. I felt like a blob. Like, right. I didn't really have a role in anything right. anymore. So and I was just the planner. So how hard was that decision to make to do the hysterectomy? And did you and Steve really have to grieve It actually wasn't hard at it? all. It, it, I was in so much pain, yeah. and I had gone through so many surgeries to cure the endometriosis that I knew there were other avenues to have children. And I just thought to myself, I guess, you know, this isn't the way that we were supposed to have a family. And, and so it just, it didn't, it wasn't shocking. It wasn't something that we needed to go home and talk about, like, is this the right decision? Well, that's interesting because I feel like in infertility, there's so much of that where if you were asked at 30, when you and Steve were starting to try, hey, this is going to happen, I think you'd probably be terrified and upset. But you get to a point, it's like when you get to a point with surrogacy where it wasn't, not that it wasn't hard to sort of make that decision, but you get to the point where you just have to do it. Yeah. And it's that that's always so interesting to me because it is, if you ask the Tara that started out in 2018, whatever that was, oh, you're going to have a surrogate. I would have gasped and been like, right. oh, that's my, you know, just that's not my journey. 
And then you've- Or you would have been like, what is surrogacy? Right. Because right. I haven't even looked into this yet. Right. What do you mean do you another mean? person is going to carry right. my child? Right. And I think though, to Todd's point, you fast forward and go through pain or go through loss and then- your perspective changes so dramatically. And I think it changes, I think a lot of people probably feel pity for people that have to have a hysterectomy in their 30s or can't carry a child themselves or have to use donor sperm or donor eggs. I think if the general public who has never been dealt an infertility card, I think that's what the stigma I hope to break. I think they still probably feel this little pity for this person. And that is so interesting to me because I think that held me back in the beginning about surrogacy because I felt like I wasn't achieving the step or that somehow someone would look at me and feel that. Yeah. But what's so crazy, I wish I could have told my former self, is you f- you fast forward to this time of when you're making this decision and you have grieved all these things and you just truly have a different perspective where it doesn't matter. Now, I I wouldn't even care. I would laugh if someone pitied me for surrogacy. You know, like yeah. I am at that point, which I would have never thought I would have been. I, I would have thought, oh, I'll, if I had to choose surrogacy, I would do it, but I would just be like kicking and screaming. I would be worried what people think. I would have all these feelings and I have zero. If anything, I feel yeah. like, wait, I have discovered <laughs> like my issue and found a solution and I feel empowered and I don't feel that. But it is interesting how I think just the general public but views I also, these issues. But I also think someone like you that has been so successful in reaching everything that they have gone for in life. Mm -hmm. I mean, hello, gold medalist. (laughs) Not fangirling over here (laughs) at all. Um, But you have always been able to conquer what you want and and achieve. And same with you, Todd. I feel like you have really gone for everything that you're doing with all of your film work. And it almost feels as though we failed. Right. And now we have to face the world to say, I have achieved everything else, but for some reason I can't win this. And now I feel like I've lost. And it's almost a sense of embarrassment until you realize I want a child so bad that this is the way that we're going to have to move forward. And we will celebrate in that way rather than it being a defeat and a failure. Right. No, I agree with that. And I think that it is hard, you know, and you've talked about that too, that it's throughout your life, you've worked hard. Yeah. You get the reward for working hard and this sort of just like infertility and loss slaps you in the face of that idea. Oh, it's been the hardest job in quotes that I've ever had. Yeah. That's so true. It's so true. So tell me after the hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. What was the next step? Were you going to check out and see, could we do IVF to create embryos? What are my ovaries looking like? What were the next steps in your journey? So little lefty, my, my little lefty ovary, it took a beating with the endometriosis. So when they did the hysterectomy, they, they took out, um, lefty. So it's only little righty in there. (laughs) And, um, we, I was just in so much pain. The thought of even going through what you did to try and collect mm-hmm. all the embryos was not even on the table right. for me. I 
was just like, you know what, we're just going to move forward to the next round. There are other ways of getting eggs. Mm -hmm. There's still ways of having children. Right. Although I didn't know anything about surrogacy. We had always wanted to adopt, um, which we'll get into in a little bit, I'm sure. But um, I knew that there was a, a way to have a child, but it was almost like a relief for me that I didn't have to deal with that debilitating pain all the time. And so you knew you were going to go a different avenue. Yeah. You weren't going to go through IVF yourself. No. So did you just know surrogacy was going to be your first option before adoption? Because you said you always wanted yeah, to adopt. Si ever since I was little, I've always been so fascinated by my friends that were adopted. For so I just thought that was the coolest like you are, you have other parents that are raising you that just, you fell into their family. Like that is so beautiful to me. And I don't know, it was just such a crazy thing. And never did I think that would be what happens in my life. Mm -hmm. um, but I always just thought that was so cool. And, um, but with the hysterectomy, I felt like my closest way of feeling like I could be a mother would be going through surrogacy and going through every step of the way with my surrogate and being able to talk with her about the appointments and what she's feeling now. And is she feeling motion, like not motion sickness, morning sickness. Right. We're not on a roller coaster here, even <laughs> well, though you well, are. <laughs> no, technically we are. And, um, you know, so I just feel like that journey felt the closest like to home. So you decided to go the surrogate route. What was that process like for you? Well, you know, you have to look at what agency is the best because you want the best of the best. You know, you're thinking like, this is going to be my child. So you, you're thinking, okay, where do I even start to look? Do I want to do something local? Do I want to do something in New York or LA where they're probably better in, in, your, th in your mind? Um, and so we just... Uh, I feel like I, I, I talked to friends that knew of uh, agencies and we went through an agency in Texas. And so it was only four hours away, very close. And we were presented with, um, I think, four or five different surrogates that we could choose from. Which and is not, so far with my experience, that is very lucky to have choices and options because some people will wait two years. And especially now because of COVID. Right. So this was pre-COVID right. when we are not into, you know, we don't have a vaccine. Right. We don't want you to have a vaccine. All this stuff now that is is a, a big problem in finding a surrogate. Right. Um, and just the number of surrogacies, surrogates that are available out there. Well, it's also interesting, I don't know, Todd, I was probably leading the way a little bit on this, but when you're choosing a surrogate, you get all of these bios, you know, and it's like, I feel like I'm studying for skating where it's just this bio yeah. and the hard part is choosing who is going to be your person. And in your mind, you have all these thoughts, you've been through so much, and then you're thinking, but what if, Yep. you know, the last transfer worked, but what if this one doesn't? Or what if this results in a miscarriage? Or, you know, if I choose 
this person on this paper compared to the one right next to it? Could it be two completely different journeys? So right. being faced with these decisions sometimes is a bit of a mind fuck. It really is because it's it's like tender, you know, yeah. like you're going through and you're trying to pick like who's going to be the best match for me. Right. And for my husband and for our family, right. like who are we going to get along with? But not even that, like who's who going to be able had to success? do this? Yes. And carry it through successfully. Right. And so we chose to go with someone that has never gone through surrogacy before. Um, this was her first journey as well, which I kind of liked because it was new to both of us. Mm -hmm. So we were very green going in, very excited and just um, every ounce of excitement and energy and education was so raw and out on the table. And I feel like that's kind of what we needed. So were you at this point a bit, I mean, compared to, to knowing what a journey could look like, were you a bit naive at this point of, oh, I have a surrogate slam dunk? Absolutely. I, looking back now, I think I would have done a little bit more research on getting to know mm -hmm. the surrogate a little bit more. It's like dating. Like you really don't know the person until it's a year in. And then you're like, okay, that is you. Right. And that's with surrogacy. Like you meet them on a Zoom call or on a phone call and you're like, okay, you can carry my child. <laughs> well, but so picking... When you chose the surrogate, it's just interesting that you chose someone who hadn't done surrogacy. Had she had children? Yes, oh, she, she had had, had okay. two children of her own and they were done having children. Two successful uh, journeys with her own children and both were C-sections. So we knew that our child would, would be, be C-section, which for me, I felt like was kind of a stress relief because we knew the exact due date. And with us being in Oklahoma could leave time for us to plan to get to right. Texas and not have to be like, our water, her water broke, we right. have to go. Right. Um, and which you kind of want, cause it's like very like movie, right. movie-esque. <laughs> Um, which it doesn't happen like that, guys. Yeah, Your water just doesn't I, gush out. I don't. I didn't want any of that. I, I wanted the plan. The plan. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think most women do. But then yeah. again, those are the ones that wait till like 42 weeks. Right. And they're like, well, I think Monday it might happen. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, my stress level would be through yeah, the roof. do that. Yeah. But you guys did get pretty lucky in that the first transfer, the embryo transfer worked. Yes. Right. So yeah. it was a one and done and she was, was pregnant. It was one and done. She, she, the, the bun was in the oven and we had a heartbeat and that was our first. How'd you get the call? I always love the stories of when her first beta or her first blood work showed that she was pregnant. Well, you know, they always say like, come back in 10 days right. and we'll do the blood work yeah. to ver and no one does that. Right. No one really would. No, I, well, you know, I definitely didn't. I would Amazon her like all yes. of the first response yeah. pregnancy <laughs> tests and be like, take all of these yeah. and every day and write it down I, at the same time. Yeah. And I need to make sure that this is, and she's like, I think we have a squinter. Yeah. I think we have the, and so you, and people are like squinter. At first I was like, what is a squinter? Google, what fun. is a squinter? <laughs> um, and you just learn these terms and now they just become just second nature to you. Where if you would ask, you know, Tom down yeah, the street, they, they're like, squinter? You mean a splinter? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and so it was, 
it didn't seem like it was going to be a hard journey at all from what we just came from. It seemed like, wow, this is what everyone else experiences. Right. This is this is how it's done. Normal. This also, is quote unquote normal. The journey itself, if you can just talk a little bit about that, was pretty textbook, right? There were no issues at all. Um, I almost wanted the appointments to last longer because I couldn't be a part of the journey. And so when they were doing the ultrasounds, I just wanted that FaceTime call just to last for hours and hours because I just loved seeing the baby move and breathe and see the heartbeat. And See, I am glad you got that though because I definitely had just a completely different experience on those and I'm sure you did your, as we get further into your story, that those appointments probably didn't have the same charm yeah. as oh, they no. did with this. Because hearing you say you wanted the FaceTimes to last longer, I was terrified of these appointments and FaceTimes. Like I, it, I, I mean, it was Georgie, so I love her, but I hated, Yep, I hated doctor's appointments. And I, I, I didn't even listen to the heartbeat many times because I was so terrified. So, okay, go on. Well, before you go on, but in these early, not even early days, the first six, seven months. What was your relationship like with the surrogate? Was it good? It was amazing. Uh, it's, it's like a mother-in-law, right? Like you can't choose this person that you want in your life. Like they're just in your life. Right. And you hope that your relationship and your bond is something that's going to last a lifetime. And I felt in the whole journey that she was going to be the baby's aunt. I felt like she was going to be a family member for life and that she would be someone that I would give my life for. Right. um, Because she gave us life. Right. And um, unfortunately that, that ended up not being the case. So take us through the kind of birth plan for, you know, having the baby. It was in July, correct? 2021. So on July 13th, the day before London's, London is the name of my my baby girl. And um, if you're watching, um, yes, me, I'm wearing London is the reason her sweatshirt. So, and I have a really cool story about that and how that even came to fruition because it is amazing and just so perfect for what had happened. Um, in such a twisted way, because it wasn't perfect at all. But um, so July 13th, uh, Steve and I got in the car. We had the house spick and span. I mean, every it was baby Disneyland in the house. We had everything and anything you could think about for a baby. And we had balloons set for her walking in. I could just picture like where we're going to set her when we walk in with her and um, everything was set and ready and you, you, pl- you want it to be so sterile and safe. And yeah, I know. so you, you just want everything to be just perfect. And so you we, had to drive though. We drove, you, we drove five, uh, five hours. Cause to, you guys lived in different States. Yes. So we were in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma and the birth was in Fort Worth, Texas. And because you were having the C-section, you knew that it was going to be a 39 week. Yes induction, well, not induction, but 39 week C-section. Correct. So you get in the car. We get in the car and then we realize that we have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) 
we realize, wait a second, tomorrow we're going to be parents and we have no idea how to be parents. Like we haven't even changed a diaper. Yeah, same. So maybe we should listen to some podcasts on how to be a parent. So the whole five hours we are driving to Dallas and learning how to be a parent, which is, you know, great. Um, You're like, I put in my five hours, have my late, parent degree. Late, but you guys <laughs> a got little, there. Procrastination is not something we deal with. Um, so I get a voice message from the surrogate that says, London's heartbeat is really strong. We're ready for tomorrow. And just to inform everyone that is listening and watching on YouTube um, <laughs> that there was never any inkling that something was wrong with London's heartbeat or health at this time. Um, so for me, it was very odd and out of the blue that she would send me this. Um, we had the home Doppler, you know, situation that she could listen to the heartbeat. And I just thought- So that's what she was saying. Because I, I actually didn't do, again, I was terrified of all of it. So I didn't even, right. Michaela was like, do you want to, I have a Doppler at home. Would yeah. you want to hear, you know, or or get the heartbeat or heart rate? And I was like, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, no. I don't want to know. But go on. So she was doing Yeah, she said so she Doppler, was doing that. And it was great. And, and she now said, this yeah, is 24 hours before. 24 hours. We were going there. My parents were flying in from Florida. So we were picking them up on the way over to the surrogate's family's house. We had dinner that night as like a celebratory. We exchanged gifts. I had written her a a book, um, a poem. I don't know why all of a sudden I felt like I could be a writer. <laughs> I hated school, you guys. Like, <laughs> hate it. I don't think I ever read. Cliff Notes were my jam. Like, wow, way to age me. But like Cliff Notes, mm. <laughs> But I just felt like I could write all of a sudden. And I exchanged gifts with her. We were just so ready. But there was also something lingering in the air that felt very strange, um, like, a, like an elephant in the room without anyone mentioning it. Was and it... Was it uh the heartbeat comment or just in general intuition? I think it was both. I think it was the heartbeat text that had in the back of my mind thinking like, why would why she, you, why, why did I get send that text? That? Yeah. Right. And then also just, she had meant the surrogate had mentioned to my mom at the dinner table. Well, we haven't felt London move a lot lately. And I'm thinking, what, why are you just, telling us this now. And naive Kristen is thinking, well, it's probably because she's running out of room. <laughs> right. Like, you don't, right. You I've never no been a parent yet. before. Right. She had been twice before. So you probably felt reassured knowing she went through two pregnancies. This must be normal. Obviously. Exactly. Oh, she she's would just know. not moving that much. Right. You almost trust them like a doctor in a way, like that they know the medical reasonings for this and they've done their research because they've been through it. They've lived it, right. not just once, but in this, for instance, but twice. And um, so I just thought, oh, well, th I guess that's normal. Um, I don't know. So it, it took you off guard a little bit. Took but, me off yeah, guard. But 
But still but was still, so excited. Right. Like, here we go. This is my last night to go to bed, like, as Kristen. And tomorrow right. I, I wake up that's as so a mom. crazy. We didn't talk about that. I had that thought, and Michaela texted it to me, and that's how I had that thought. But the night before, she said, this is your last night that you will ever sleep, yeah. you know, as just Tara, a single person out there without the title mom. Yeah. And it was, I remember going to bed that night thinking, wow, that's weird and cool. <laughs> it's the coolest feeling, but at the same time, it's so scary. But so after this dinner where you hear some of the stuff that's a little alarming, but again, you're just excited, just take us through the next morning. Ooh. So this is when my intuition has never been more spot on in my entire life. So um, we had to be at the hospital at 5.30 in the morning, plan C-section. And I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and I had this immediate thought to text my surrogate and ask if they had hooked London up to the heart monitor yet. And she said, no, not yet. They're doing the COVID test, the blood work, but I'll let you know when they do. And there was something in me that felt so hollow. Like I felt like I had a brick in my chest of like emptiness. And I didn't know what it was. And I didn't know if it was because we had waited for so many years and had gone through so much trauma to get to this point that this was the devil saying, I'm going to steal this joy That's away. That's how I think about a lot of things when it comes to infertility or loss or pregnancy or even, you know, worries about the future with children. It feels like that. It feels like I've been through so much. I always have that thought of like, wouldn't this just be ironic if this happened right and you're just waiting and it's I don't know how you felt but we were in the car and I will always vividly remember the fear I couldn't even talk to you I always try to act normal yeah. but I'm not you know <laughs> at that point like I had asked Michaela like I knew she was in the hospital I was I she's like they're wheeling me up I am going to text you when we get hooked up so for those next five to ten minutes 15 minutes, I wanted to puke because yep. I had those thoughts of, is this where it gets fucked up again? Is yep. this just when it's going to happen? And I, the, the breath of, and almost the surreal astonishment that when she texted and said, heartbeat is fine. Mm. It felt like it wasn't supposed to happen yep. to me. Obviously you had the same experience where you, you know, asked about when she's hooked up right. and take us through then. So the, when did you, did you get a text? What happened? Well, I still kept texting her saying, okay, have they hooked her up yet? No, not yet. Okay. And I'm thinking this time is like going by so slow. And I remember I've, I never do this. Like I went into the bathroom and I grabbed a cold, washcloth and just held it over my face and just was like, okay, God, if this is your plan of whatever this feeling is, I will trust you. But I'm just hoping that this is the devil trying to be like, okay, you've waited and I'm just going to steal it from you. And I'm just hoping that my instinct is wrong. 
And I kept going back to my phone, get back to my phone. Then the text messaging started to really slow down. And we had got those cheesy like mom, dad, Mimi, Poppy shirts. I had everything made and were ready for the delivery and all those perfect pictures that you see and everybody posts. And so you're like, oh, I'm going to have that too. Because obviously my journey has been so spot on and perfect. (laughs) Um, And Steve said, oh, are you not wearing your mom shirt? And I felt like I didn't want to put it on. And I I made up an excuse and said, oh, I think maybe we should just put it on after she's here because I don't want to get like, you know, after skin to skin, I don't want to get all dirty. And then I want to walk around the hospital and show it off that I'm a mom now, you know? So I'm thinking, no. And I finally put it on because I was like, well, I'm hoping that I'm wrong here. And so the text messaging has completely stopped. We're getting in the car. We meet my parents. The hospital is five minutes away. And I'm just constantly looking at my phone, looking at my phone. I'm texting everything okay. No response, no response. And I'm like- And at this point, are you worried? Oh, through the roof. Like a very sick feeling like came over me. Like I- just knew in my gut that there was something wrong. Um, and But I still was hoping, like still very hopeful that I'm just wrong. And so we walk in and we hit the buzzer and I was like, hi, it's Kristen and Steve and we're here to meet my surrogate and she's here and we're having our baby today. And I'm trying to act like very normal, very excited. And they said, okay, she's in with the doctor, have a seat and someone will come out to get you. Again, thinking normal, I've never had a child before, so maybe this is what everybody does. Right. And so I turned to Steve and I said, you need to text the husband. And he said, Kristen, they're in with the doctor. And you know Steve, because he's a doctor, you know those doctors. You know, so he's like, let them do their work. I'm like, <laughs> you're like, shut up. I'm like, okay, I don't need you to be a doctor right now. I need you to be my husband. Um, and he was like, I just need to, I need you to text him. So I gave him that look, like text him now. <laughs> and the, the nurse came out and said, okay, Kristen and Steve, you can come back. And my parents stood up and they said, no, you guys wait here. We'll come get you later. In that moment, I just was like, this, this is just, this keeps piling on. It's getting worse. So we get brought back to this like test room in this dark hall. And I'm like, this isn't where my surrogate is. I don't see my surrogate. Where, where are we going? And within two minutes, the doctor and two nurses came in and I vividly remember this moment like it was yesterday. And she looked at me and said, it's not good. She doesn't have a heartbeat. Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review, and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases.